Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Firstly, I'd just like to apologise to all Australian supporters. A lot of people have travelled here. I'm sure a lot of people have stayed up late at night and, uh, you know, our performance wasn't up to the standard that uh, is required and I apologise for that. I take full responsibility for it. A throw long. Got a rolling ball off the back of the line out. It's going to be hard to stop from here. Morgan has it in possession. Morgan falls. Morgan scores. There it is. Shut the door. Book your tickets. Australia have had an absolute debacle here in Leon. Jack Morgan scores the try. Wales bring up 40 points. An historic and ruthless victory for the Welsh against the Wallabies. Now you lost. Lost in the heat of it all Girl, you know you lost Lost in the thrill of it all Miami, Amsterdam, Tokyo, Spain Lost Los Angeles, India Lost on a train Lost Yes, welcome back, Izzy and Kempi for Breakfast SCNZ. It's Tradies Hour with night and day. Start your morning with a hell of a coffee from just $4.50 at your local night and day. You must be pretty confident, Izzy, considering your hair costs about (laughs) 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 $4,000. Leave your name, please. Leave your name. Hey, times four, mate. Don't do me like that. Times four. That, that was for the fringe. <laughs> that was for my Uncle Kippy's fringe, man. Who is that? Oh, I bet you're one of my friends at... Man, that was so it. good. <laughs> Kimby, don't laugh. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what. It's, uh, you put yourself out there all the time, mate. I love it. I love it, mate. I'll shave my head off. Yes, my expensive lid of Italy. <laughs> Eventually <laughs> beat the All Blacks, okay? Okay? Well, Christy Doran will probably be able to talk about that game coming up in the weekend and the Wales Australia. But before then, we're going to give out clue number two. Our $100 Adidas golf voucher up for grabs. Get away with Adidas. Visit adidas.co.nz slash getaway underscore with underscore golf. TNCs apply. Who am I? Clue number two. I was born in Steel, Cheshire. My brother also also competes in my chosen sport, although he may be more famous for his appearance on Love Island. 
Got it. Keep them coming through on double eight, double three. Many of you got it after clue number one. I had to take two clues before I got the, the answer right, so uh, keep them coming through, and we'll announce the winner at the end of the show. All right, let's talk to Christy Doran. He is Rugby Union Editor at The Raw, covering the Rugby World Cup in France. Christy, good morning, mate. How are you? Bloody good to join you. I'll tell you what, I've done about 30 interviews today and I feel like I should be asking you guys the questions, but I'm very well. <laughs> I'm sure you have, mate. I'm sure you have because we're trying to dissect it and just talk about, look, you know, it's easy for us Kiwis to throw it out there and throw a bit of you know, tongue-in-cheek your way, but the reality is we want you be to be competitive because with you being competitive, it helps our brand and helps Super Rugby thrive and, and helps us build the next generation together. But, mate, uh, what, what has been the main conversation today? Hasn't been Eddie, has it? <laughs> I tell you what, you probably put the you know stole the words from my mouth there because you're right. You know we're trans Tasman neighbours and mm. there's been a fair bit of animosity between the two nations, the respective boards uh, over the last three years, particularly since Raylene Castle was was ditched. Um, but the Wallabies, uh, you know, it's it's the worst World Cup result. They're not going to get out of the pool. You can put a fork in them, but. Oh, I think that Australian rugby's got to back Eddie Jones. I think mm. he's an innovator. I'm going to be writing a story about that tomorrow, in fact. And and the reason why I say that is because the Wallabies weren't going to get beyond a quarterfinal. Uh, they weren't going to win the World Cup with, with Dave Rennie, I don't think. And history shows that. They'd won 42% of games since 2016 before Eddie Jones took over. That, that wins you nothing. And Eddie Jones uh, is coming under a huge amount of scrutiny. I think he's bold and he's selection made at King. He was an innovative kind of coaching selection panel. It blew up in his face, but I think mm. we should actually be celebrating a guy that thinks about the game more than anyone else in the world. Chris, it's hard to me. Um, this is a guy that we don't know the facts, but potentially applied for another job. Yeah, yeah. And you know what, though? I, mm. Yeah, Simon Rowalui, the Fijian coach, mm, yeah. was with the Wallabies in 2019. Played his club rugby in Manly and Sydney, Sydney rather. He uh, had a pretty kind of um, appropriate message on Twitter, which was, "Hang on a moment, guys. Like, there would barely be a, a an international coach, a domestic yeah. coach that isn't looking at their options." And Eddie Jones was fired by the. Australian Rugby Union back in 2005, he thought he was going through to the 2007 World Cup, was mixing things up. And I think whether or not he was going to take a role, to accept a role, why he was doing it, there's a little bit of talk about whether or not he was acting as an advisor for the Japanese Rugby uh, Football Union too. We don't know yet at the moment, but th- there's... he wouldn't be the first person that has ever looked at his options beyond the, the here and the now. Christy, I don't think it's a, it's really about whether or not you're looking at your options. Like, you know, I, I agree. Like, you've got to be covering your bases, especially the way that uh, uh, that pos- position at coach and CEO um, are quite uh, volatile. But to to have it come out the day before a game that they're mm. playing to start in the World Cup, you know, you're going to be remembered as the first team that got knocked out of the World Cup. What impact do you think that actually had on the team? Because... We're down here watching that game yesterday. I've never seen an Australian team play so poorly. 
the optics were horrendous. They were terrible. And it was the biggest story, not just, I think, in Australian rugby, but world rugby. You've got the global press that's uh, ascending on Leon and those from England that were marvelling. And it was only a couple of days earlier that Eddie Jones was saying that there's 10 times the amount of people here and that's because they can smell blood. And when you get a, a story like that that links him to a Japanese head coaching role, uh, following the World Cup on the day of the Wallabies' biggest match since the 2015 World Cup final. Congrats, Izzy Dag. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, it, it's a terrible, terrible look. You speak to the players and you speak to them in the uh, the mixed zone following Woods. They were playing dumb. They were saying that they didn't know uh, they didn't know about it. But you speak to all their player agents. You speak to anyone that's in Australian rugby. They knew about it and. And it's a poor look, particularly after the Wallabies' heaviest defeat at a World Cup and certainly uh, the Wallabies missing the quarterfinals for the first time ever too. Christy, just we're trying to find, trying to find a solution because let's be honest, I'm not going to be out here and berating Rugby Australia because we're in the same predicament at the moment with, with Rugby New Zealand and trying to solve the problems, the situation that is, is, is going on at the moment. And we're trying to find a solution. One of our callers come through and pose uh, an opportunity for rugby going forward, potentially maybe sharing the talent, particularly in New Zealand, and bringing rugby teams, I'm talking more about Super Rugby, back to three teams and maybe sharing talent from New Zealand and Australia to make it more competitive. Would that be helpful? Oh, look, it's been a solution that's been kind of raised in terms of drafts. Um, Hamish McLennan has spoken about that often over the last two years. There's been others that have said that Australian rugby has been at its strongest when it's had three sides. I think the reality is that Aussie rugby needs to start getting back and tapping into the ages of those between 12 and 17 because the amount of talent that comes through the NRL... Uh, the amount of talent and the scouts that are uh, looking at anyone who's around two metres tall, uh, that could be an AFL player. The scouts are out there and they're picking up all this talent that is there that could be playing rugby. And I think the Wallabies in Australia rugby, rugby Australia needs to be innovative in terms of uh, mentoring younger players. Like these guys are getting paid truckloads and they're getting paid truckloads despite the fact that their failures on the field. You know, what about returning to the day and age where players, you know, might get paid a little bit less, but they get incentives if they if they mentor kids between the ages of 14 and 17, and you can see those kids get inspired. And I talk about the Joseph Suarez and the Angus Crichtons and the rest of them that are household names in both Australia and New Zealand. Maybe not worldwide because let's be honest, the rugby league's not played everywhere in the world like rugby is, but if they could tap into those guys and not then have to spend $5 million over four years to bring a Suwali, you could get 10 of them. And we know that there's so many of them, but Australian rugby has to be so much more innovative and they've got to stop looking at, 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 at uh, you know, trying to copy New Zealand centralised model or Ireland centralised model and they need to start going, we need to get kids that are 14, 15 and 16 and stop resting on our laurels and thinking that we have to just spend on the top, top tier of, 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 of Wallabies players. A name that I feel has been disruptive for rugby down in the Southern Hemisphere is Hamish McLennan. Is he the right man for the job? 
<laughs> I, I think he is. And why do why do you say he's disruptive? Oh, look, he's he's just not open minded for it. look, and I understand that because you know he's trying to worry about his own backyard and trying to support. But I don't know, just I just get a sense of arrogance potentially. Sorry to interrupt, but when you talk about open mindedness, he's the person that's coming in with with ideas around super rugby drafts and around ensuring that the Trans-Tasman block is competitive. I think he's been the most open-minded. You're not on the Rugby Australia payroll, are you, Christy? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) I I just think that, that, Mm. you know, if you go globally and you go, how's New Zealand rugby faring at the moment? And I think there's been a lot of people that have pointed figures at Mark Robinson for a long time and and maybe Steve too perhaps rested on his laurels a little bit longer too. You know, we're at Rayland Castle that was – was whose whose mentor was was uh, Steve Chu for a long long time. I think it's great that we've got a, a chairman who is out there who's being bold and brave mm. because that is I think what is needed with Australian rugby at the moment because it's just it's just slid into the oblivion over the last two decades. You must have been listening to the first hour of the show, Christy, because I was talking about the NRL and the AFL model um, and how. You know, innovation really. I, I, I think what's happening with Australian rugby is, is crystal balling what's going to happen in New Zealand rugby if they don't get their their A's into G. Do you, th- do you think that the possibility of jumping in the AFL-NRL fight is possibly a way to build, I guess the first thing, a competition because you've got Australia as the bigger community to be able to do that but also the pathways that you're talking about. Because there's talk also on the back of your conversation that Joseph Swiley's walking out of that deal with Australian rugby and he's staying in rugby league. Oh, look, I, I dare say a lot of those kind of rumours are coming out of News Corp and having worked there in the past, we know that, that, that News Corp is embedded in rugby league and the NRL. Uh, they'll be doing anything to, to keep Swiley because he's a he's a big name. Mm. Uh, I, I just think that Rugby has great values across the world and it is known worldwide that it's it's really got to ensure that players coming through don't just see themselves as professional rugby players but see themselves as absolute role models for the game because we know that with uh, concussions, um, parents are less and less likely to have want to have their kids play play contact sport and What's a point of difference? I think rugby can be a point of difference in terms of the values it espouses. And you see that on the streets of France at the moment with with even yesterday, the doom and gloom of Australian rugby and the beautiful... Like This is the first time I've heard the Australian National Anthem actually sung at a stadium because Australians are so quiet, uh, generally speaking. You, you can hear a pin drop at most of the grounds when rugby's played. But uh, what... We need to be celebrating what rugby can do for the individual and it needs to have the players get into the communities much, much more, get into the rugby clubs and stop thinking that they're professionals that are on huge salaries but start getting into the Mm. communities and talking to young kids coming through and their parents about why they should be playing rugby. Chris, you'll you'll have a real footprint on the ground in terms of the grassroots. What are the grassroots like in, in Australia? Over here in New Zealand, clubs are... Are struggling numbers are dwindling, you know, but but there's more reasons than than more that you know. There's obviously opportunities to play basketball, football, obviously with the FIFA World Cup, 
So there's a lot of opportunities in other sports. What are they like in the clubs? Is there still numbers and pathways for these young kids to play rugby? Yeah, there absolutely is. And, and I live in Sydney and the Shoot Shield competition is mm. strong. But you even see club coaches there. And Steve Hoyles is one uh, a former Wallaby who's led Randwick in his first year to a drought-breaking title at Randwick. And he goes, well, look, why would I want to be a super rugby coach? Because they all get chewed up and spat out immediately. And and then you, you, you see the... Uh, the separation of uh, the professional element to the amateur age, and you barely see a, an Australian player ever return to club rugby. And I thought it was fantastic when Artie Sevilla was lining up in some local club rugby earlier in the year. You know, he's one of the absolute best players in the world, probably in the top five players in the world, and yet he's playing club rugby. How good is that? And mm. you wouldn't, you know, we've seen a little bit of it recently with a few players when they got left out of the Wallabies, the Harry Wilsons, the James O'Connors lining up for brothers. But Phil War, who, who's recently taken over there as the RACEO, he's made a real big point of his kind of uh, tenure that he wants to see that return, that, that real club love return. And nice. I think that's a crucial element because, mm. yes, Shoot Shield is strong, but those that go to Shoot Shield don't go to Super Rugby matches. They can't stand it. All of my friends, they can't stand going to Super Rugby games or even international games because they feel like the entire Wallabies team is out of touch. The Rugby Australia board is out of touch with what the common person mm. is these days. And so that's why I think it's really crucial that, that is, those bridges are mended. Yep, there's no identity. They could learn a lot, a lot off the Waz, the Warriors who have built that this year. Yeah. Hey, just talking, Christy, uh, quickly, I've got one more question for you. If I, in 2015, you guys were, you know, in the final of the World Cup up against the All Blacks, as he, as he knows that only too well. That, that was just, you know, a couple of sleeps ago. And look where you find yourself now. If anything, what can New Zealand rugby learn from this? Because it seems like we're heading down the same path. Well... We were pretty lucky to make that 2015 final. We've got to remember that. We should have probably bowed out in the quarterfinal. If it wasn't for a Craig Joubert dubious penalty, which shouldn't have been Oh, awarded. that's right. Scotland. Bernard Foley doesn't slot that, and, and fair play to the man for kicking the Wallabies into a semi-final. But they shouldn't have been there. So the Wallabies should have had the harsh reality of not making a final since 2003. Now, I, I think that what needs to be done is, 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 is. Uh, I think a, a Heineken cut model has to be addressed yeah. and it has to be brought yeah. into Super Rugby. Um, the fact that South Africa, yeah, from a time zone perspective, was terrible. Half the people didn't know who the heck the South Africans were and what teams and where they were from and what hour of the day they were playing. And then you add the Argentinians in, which added another can of worms altogether. But, but Japan's in the same time zone. It's great that Fiji's involved. Moana Pacific has got to play more in the islands themselves. Mm. Uh, they've got to go down and follow that draw route. And and I think that New Zealand and Australia have to come together and go, how do we get the top four sides in Japan and, and so that we're experiencing different rugby, that we're not just – the New Zealanders aren't just bashing up the Aussies every week because we know that the Malcolm Marxes – the Franco Mostarts, uh, the Damien Deerlanders, they're playing in Japan now. Yeah. And so if you get that experience against the big bodies there and you, you get to experience different brands of rugby, I think that can only help both New Zealand and Australia. Would Japan 
Dude, I, I spoke about this a while ago. I'd love to see Japan rugby, but they've got a superior product at the moment, so I don't see them. You know, Japan made. wants to do it. Mm-hmm. That they, they absolutely want to do it. It's 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 purely down to the fact that off the back of the terrible experiment of expanding to way too many sides with Argentina, yeah. a, a Sunwolves side which didn't have any of the best players playing mm-hmm. there, that they're spooked by returning to Japan. Yeah. It you know, Andy Marinos, the former RACEO, who 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 presided over the demise of of Super Rugby for a number of years was spooked by returning to Japan because of the failure of the Sunwolves. Mm. That doesn't mean that there's not good enough rugby in Japan. Kubota is a quality side mm-hmm. with Malcolm Marks. Santori Sungoliath is quality too with players like Harry Hawkins who don't even play for the Wallabies but would walk into the side. Uh, they are quality teams. Yep. And if you could have a, a, a tiered competition with the best four to six sides in a, in a championship cup style model and then a, a Challenge Cup side model, which would probably represent half the Aussie sides, that would only benefit both unions and, and much more needs to be done because the reactiveness in both unions is horrific, I think. Christy, we're going to have to let you go, mate. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Outstanding conversations. A lot of thought for our listeners out there. And one of our listeners has come, to, come through and see rumours are Eddie and Steve Henson coaching Japan. Well, how about it? I'm going to go get another rose, eh? but really good to join yourself. <laughs> Appreciate it, mate. Just don't carry on like Drew Mitchell, all right? Cheers, bud. <laughs> Cheers. There is Christy Doran out of uh, France talking about uh, the situation that is unfolding with Rugby Australia. That was brought to you by Hino Trucks, a better class of truck. And uh, we'll shoot away. We'll come back. We'll get through a couple of these messages. You're listening to Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Thanks to the Chemist Warehouse. Keeping you healthy this winter.